0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, Word of God, reveal more of yourself to us through your presence in the Bible. Led by the Holy Spirit, guide our time of reflection. May it increase our desire for you in the Scripture and in the sacrament. Amen. The work of the prophet is often described as comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. And we see that in our first reading this weekend from the prophet Zephaniah. He was talking not long before the fall of Jerusalem in 587 B.C., and he's calling out those in Jerusalem for their bad behavior. But at the same time, he says just prior to our passage at Mass that God will leave a remnant in your midst, a people humble and lowly. They shall do no wrong and speak no lies. And after saying this, our excerpt begins, Shout for joy, O daughter Zion! Sing joyfully, O Israel! Why? Why? Because the Lord has brought about this faithful remnant in Jerusalem and turned away their enemies. Verse 17 of the passage presents us with a bit of a conundrum. Our translation at Mass says God will renew you in His love. But the most common translation of the Hebrew text literally means something much more like God will be silent in His love. The difference comes from, as you may remember, Israelites at the time of Zephaniah didn't write vowels into their text. It took up too much space. So the word that we have here, which some translate as renew and others as silent, has the same consonants in it. Sort of like this. Consider if you saw the word LV. If we fill in the vowels, it could be L-O-V-E, love, but it could also be L-E-A-V-E, leave. If all we were given was LV, we could say both would be possible, love and leave. Israelites often use context clues to figure out tricky words, but here in verse 17, it could be either renew or be silent. Since the earlier part of the text talks about shouting for joy, though, it's more likely that a contrast is made between the shouting and the silence of God, although exactly why God is silent in His love is a whole nother debate as well. If we can sum up Paul's letter to the Philippians in one word, that word would be rejoice. It occurs over a dozen times in the letter, and it's the reason why we hear this passage on the third Sunday of Advent, in which we're told to rejoice because Christmas is near. This word for rejoice in Greek, karete, is in the command form, and it was a common farewell greeting in Paul's day. Think about today, you might hear someone say to you, peace, as a goodbye. He or she is wishing peace upon you, but then it's almost a bit of a command, too. Have peace. Paul is doing the same here, only with joy. In verse 5 of the passage, Paul says that the kindness of the Philippians should be known to all. This is an attempt to translate the Greek word epikase, which means something more like forbearance. When someone enters forbearance on a loan or a mortgage, the bank allows the person some time to pause or lower payments almost out of goodwill in recognizing a hardship. That's the same virtue Paul is encouraging among the Philippians. The Lord is truly near and be a bit more forbearant with one another. Our gospel gives us three case studies of instructions that John the Baptist gave to different groups. Crowds, toll collectors, and soldiers. In all three, he calls for an end to a lifestyle based upon greed. Instead, he says, look, you can be a toll collector or even a soldier, but live within the means provided to you. Let's break down his words to each group. First, he discourages the crowd from having two cloaks. At the time, a second cloak was really only kept in reserve. It was kind of like a backup. John is telling people that they ought to give that spare cloak to someone who doesn't have any cloak. Then he speaks to toll collectors. Although our translation at Mass describes them as tax collectors, a toll collector fits their exact role a bit better. The Romans gave the responsibility of collecting taxes from things such as customs or roadways to the highest bidder, who then would have to recoup as much money as possible. This highest bidder then would hire toll collectors who in turn wanted to make a living for themselves. In all, The occupation was full of greed and overhead. It's why John tells them, stop collecting more than what is prescribed. A similar dynamic occurred with soldiers, the third group which approaches him. It's probable that John is speaking here to mercenaries or those hired out to guard and keep peace. These soldiers earn very little wages, so they often attempt to supplement their income by threats and extortion. In fact, it was all but expected that a soldier would work this kind of side hustle of extortion to make more money. To them, to these soldiers, John says, do not practice extortion and be satisfied with your wages. Lastly, John uses a neat image at the end of this passage. He says that the one mitre than he has his winnowing fan in his hand to clear his threshing floor. The image here is of a farmer who would bring grain into the floor of his barn, then taking a winnowing shovel the farmer would toss the grain up into the air, and as he did so, the grain would fall more quickly to the ground than the undesirable chaff. By this, the farmer separates that which was good, the grain, from that which was bad, the chaff. John is using this image to describe the way in which the Christ, the Messiah, will gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So that's it. That's your Sunday setup for this third Sunday of Advent in Year C. May this knowledge of the story behind the Scripture allow you to encounter Jesus Christ in a new way this weekend. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.